as an outside shooter, but she would go two for two on that day. She knocks down the triple and in ETSU. That was sort of a microcosm of the whole game that ETSU was able to do and to really play unselfish basketball and get the win. And I thought it was impressive. And I thought for Western Carolina, we've talked about this before, but not letting one loss create two losses. And Western Carolina had a nip and tuck game with Chattanooga, went to the fourth quarter, was in it, tough loss, and then a little bit of both. I think they came in probably not feeling real good about it. ETSU worked on some things, got hot early, and was able just to put Western Carolina away. And I think the biggest difference was not only were they knocking down threes, but they were finishing the basketball around the rim. And that's the problem that they had against UNCG. Now, UNCG on Thursday has a couple shot blockers, uh, the best two shot blockers, maybe two of the three best shot blockers in the Southern Conference. And so they protected the rim. They were able to knock some of those shots away. ETSU was able uh, to knock those down, but just as things started to go their way, you could kind of feel the momentum, and you could sort of see the smiles on their faces, and certainly Coach Harris was excited of how the team was able to bounce back from Thursday to pick up the win against Western Carolina. It was the, the total package today, and as we talked after the last competition we had that we needed to put together four quarters, and I, I'd say three and a half were to that standard today. Uh, we got a little lackadaisical in some places, but we'll tighten it up and get better as we can. But I couldn't be more proud of the buy-in, the lock-in of what we had today. So the buy-in, the lock-in, everything, and that was it. And he went as further to say, after Mike Gallagher asked him about the assist and being able to share the basketball, he had, a, I thought, a pretty good take of what it means to be an unselfish teammate. It says ETSU on the front. We don't put names on the back. So that's all it needs to be about. And I thought that was what we had today. We talk about making great plays for one another instead of good ones for yourself. And, and that's what it breeds. And, again, the, the confidence piece of coming in yesterday and knocking shots in and then sharing the ball. The game plan was to drive it, throw it to where we needed to, and it really, really worked because I think we were confident in putting that thing in there today. Certainly were. They were 12 of 22 from three. I thought Mike Gallagher had a great staff postgame uh, listening to uh, – his postgame show while I was driving over to Freedom Hall getting ready for ETSU Citadel. The two times ETSU shot over 50% from three, that, that's their two wins. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily how you're going to be able to draw it up every single time, but ETSU shot 53% from the floor. They were 64% in the first half, but 53% for the game, 12 of 22 from three, 55%, 8 of 14 from the line. That's maybe your only knock, but 18 assists on the 24 makes, 14 turnovers, ETSU able to get 16 points off the 16 turnovers they forced from Western Carolina. Bucks 20 points in the paint to 12. And then second chance points really didn't have a lot. They got out second chance there, 14 to 5. But ETSU, I thought, did a great job again spreading the wealth. You look at Demi Burdick took the most shots. She looked confident. I'd say this about Demi. I think getting the brace off her lower leg. Anybody watch games early, she had a lower leg injury big, huge, bulky brace. She's now at least healthier, if not maybe 100% healthy or as healthy as she can be. And she looks like a different player without the brace on. I know she had the career at 17, but she's starting to look for a shot, take good shots, get 17 points, then 8 points, followed up 25 points in the last two games. Um, so I think Demi Burdick continuing to get better. I thought it was good to see Carly Hooks come off the bench. She knocked down a three, but she was able to make plays in transition. 
if you can get three threes, uh, and I know Abby Carrington still had eight points, so it was a toe on the line, so I can't technically say three threes, but if she can get three threes uh, from that same spot in the corner to go down, that's a game changer. I think three TSU. And uh, I thought Courtney Moore, six assists. And Debbie Burdick, again, uh, even was more aggressive shooting the ball, but she also had five assists and was able to, you know, to find people cutting to the hoop. Sarah Thompson, four assists, three steals. Her best game, four of eight shooting, two of six from three, able to get ten points, her first double-figure game. So this is something I hope ETSU women's team can sort of build on. And I know it's, it's Western Carolina. They don't have a win yet, and obviously ETSU didn't until that game. And they're going to be tested this week, and we'll talk about that on Thursday when they take on Furman uh, and Wofford. Both of those are going to be on the road, and Wofford finally took a conference loss, so they're three and one, but we'll talk about them uh, a little bit when we do sort of the breakdown around the Southern Conference. But getting Ja'Kai Davis back, uh, I'll be curious to see if Debbie Burdick would stay in the starting lineup. Um, and, and I think Debbie Burdick probably should have got the starting that Ja'Kai Davis would have been there, but Debbie Burdick continues that. Here's the one thing. If you get to Maya Griffin, who started off uh, the season being able to score the basketball, now coming off the bench, see if you can get Griffin going and, and kind of back into it. But to me, if Demi Burdick can give you the post play or Ja'Kai Davis can give you some post numbers, uh, similar to what they've been able to do with Ja'Kai Davis, I know Mike Gallagher thought she'd go for a double-double. I think that's a, a realistic stat for Ja'Kai Davis to be able to do. I think if they can continue, again, if they shoot 50% from three, you got a shot to win every game. But they've only done that twice. So it's, it's got to be something else. But I think the confidence, does this build going on the road, can they carry that? Because I know Coach wanted a 40-minute uh, game, and I think he said post-game he gave him credit for three-quarters and a half, and, and some of that because maybe uh, the score. But able to win a game in blowout fashion, obviously be able to feel good knowing that the work you put in on Friday panned out on Saturday. Now the question is, off day Sunday, going back uh, to work yesterday on Monday, Tuesday going to work on Furman, Tuesday, Wednesday. Can they continue that? And can they do something they've not done all year, which is went on the road? They're going to have two chances to do that at Furman and Wofford. So we'll have more on that a little bit later on this week on our next podcast. So that's our look at our women's basketball. We're turning our attention to men's basketball. It's, again, just uh, Santos, no sidekick. He's in protocol, uh, and we hope to either talk to him on Thursday via the telephone or uh, he might be uh, healthy enough to come back in the studio. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. We know the uh, athletic training staff and such going through all the proper protocols in the world we're living in today. So that's a good women's basketball. We'll take a look at men's basketball right after this time out on Santos' sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky, but for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you play. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fund.
sidekick, although it's just Sandoz, talking a little ETSU men's basketball and ETSU, golly, for whatever reason. It's all about matchups sometimes, right? And you look at Western Carolina, they had a good matchup against Chattanooga. No reason they've been able to knock them off three in a row. You look at VMI, used to have Wofford's number when a lot of people didn't. Mercer used to have, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was UNCG's number. So there, there are sometimes matchups that just happen that way, and you're not sure exactly why or how. In the Citadel, just the style they play, but they have picked up some big wins. You know, they, I guess it was that uh, DeSante Bradford senior year, right? They came in at Freedom Hall, got a win there. Last season, a hard-fought win against Jason Shea squad, and then this year, Basically, a last second hung on for a win as ETSU had a chance at a three-point shot at the end of the game. We'll build up to that. We'll get Coach Oliver's thoughts on that. Eight lead changes, five ties. Citadel left for 20 minutes, 45 seconds. The Bucks 15 minutes, 20 seconds. All the miscellaneous stats point to ETSU having an advantage that you win the game. Points off turnovers, 14-6. Second chance, 13-8. In the paint, 32-28. Fast break, 15-4. All those in favor of ETSU, and you look at that and you go, man, probably walked away with a win. Well, problem was, the thing that canceled that out was shooting 58% in the second half from the floor and from three was the Citadel, 15 to 26 from two, and then seven to 12 from beyond the arc, eight of 10 from the free throw line, 28 points from eight. Brown, it was early, though. Jason Roach was Fletcher McGee shots. It was a couple times he just turned and he looked at the, the goal and was able to fire him in. I'll, sort of like McGee was streaky. Uh, Roach didn't score after midway through the first half. But that four, uh, 14 points early kept, I thought, Citadel in it. And then Rudy Fitzgibbon's points late, I felt like, kept the Citadel ahead and kind of kept pushing things forward. As Citadel 12 and 29 overall from 341%. Bucks 9 of 27, 33%. They shot under 40. They had 13 more shots, 71 shots taken to the Citadel's 58. Bucks again, they're, they're big four, um, four of the five in double figures again. Both Brewers, Sloan King, congratulations Ty Brewer, his 1,000th point of his career when you include the Southeast Louisiana numbers. And uh, the ETSU numbers also led the team in rebounding with seven. David Sloan in foul trouble, that hurt, 11 points, five assists for Sloan. 16 points, 4 assists for Jordan King. A 20 spot for Ladarius Brewer. 8 of 20 shooting, 2 of 6 from 3. Four offensive rebounds for L.A. Had the big miss dunk for sure. And I think that came down to if he would have just windmilled it or did something to get on Sports Center, I think he would have hit it. I think he was trying to cautiously dunk it and try to be smart, if you will. And I think it cost him. I think L.A. is a guy that plays with flair, and I think when you take that out and guys do something they don't normally do, that leads to trouble. So I think if Ladarius Brewer would have just went ahead and tried to make Sports Center with a windmill 360 reverse dunk something, I'm guessing he would have hit it because he wouldn't have been kind of peeking behind him watching a replay. He's kind of peeking behind him, seeing where he's at, and then going up and trying to, to slam the ball, and he kind of gingerly wanted to slam it in, and I think he should have just tried to tomahawk. Now, it's too late now. Also felt like the physicality of the game, we're going to get Coach's comments on that. 
You know, it's always one of those head-scratching things. You go to the rim, people get hammered, no call. You get out around half court, somebody hand-check somebody, or you get trapped and you get the end-of-cylinder call. It just drives you crazy. Then you had the, the one where, I guess, when Sloan was knocked down top of the key, no whistle. I mean, that was a couple things. you got to play through it. And it, Saturday in SoCon, Saturday when we were in the A-Sun, Saturday everywhere else you have to do it. So not making an excuse. The game was physical. Had to be able to play through it. Bucks just had eight turnovers. Eight turnovers in the contest. Twelve assists on the 28 makes. Ten steals. And had opportunities. Fifteen offensive rebounds to the Citadel Six. And again, they won about every category except for not getting stops on the defensive end and the Citadel shooting almost at a 60% clip. And that cancels out most things. So those are the big things. I think late in the game, ETSU played it about as good as they could. They down four after uh, a couple free throws. They were able to get an offensive rebound and hit uh, Ladarius Brewer, hit a three, cut it to one. They fouled seven seconds ago, no timeouts, and Citadel was able to hit the first one. They missed the second one, and so ETSU – Came down to the final play. It was David Sloan to Jordan King. His shot no good. And Citadel won 75 73. And Coach Oliver joined me post game. And I thought uh, he had talked about, and I'm going to comment on it afterwards, but he talked about something I didn't think about. And he talked about that last play. I called a play that we practice every day. And there's options. I mean, that, that wasn't the only option. There's a lot of options on that play. And so the rally was I didn't have confidence. I didn't. That if we drove it in there, I just didn't feel like. The way the game had been going, that we were going to be physical enough on offense to draw fouls that we normally get, but for this game, we, we just weren't physical enough with our drives to go in there and, and, and go get a three-point play to win it. And I didn't have any timeouts left, and so I wanted to go for the win. And so I, here's the first part I want to talk about. He didn't have any timeouts left, and so you have to assume that the second shot is in. By the time the rebound happens after the free throw and David Sloan gets the ball, there's a touch over five seconds, like 5.2, 5.3, depending on when you pause the video. At that point, I don't think you can call another play, knowing you only need a two-point play. And as Coach said, there's other options on that play. One of the options is obviously Jordan King being able to get the shot off try to win the game. There were other things to go, but I know I heard plenty of people like, well, why do you have, you know, two play calls? And I, I don't know. Um, I reached out to a few coaches, none of them really got back to me on it, but I think it would be difficult. I, I think with no timeouts, you go with a play, the coach said he's rep, they've learned, they know there's options, you got to be able to read the defense and do things, and I think that's probably the right thing. Now, the, the first part of that I'm going to talk about next is the physicality. And he didn't think because they weren't getting foul called or maybe he didn't think they were going to the rim hard enough. We'll just, you know, we'll have to see as the week plays out more conversations with Coach. And again, these comments right after Coach had, you know, coached the game without seeing the video. So you have to give a little bit of leeway there of exactly what did or did not happen or what he thought after he chance to see everything. So that was the first part, but then he expounded upon really, I think, 
more into that physicality part of what he was talking about of not wanting to try to go inside. Our front line has to get better. You know, we can't allow every team that has a good front line guy to have their career days or, or be near their career numbers against this. Two, I have to watch the video of the game again because in person I felt like there was a level of physicality being allowed to be played that maybe I need to, need to watch and take note and learn how to teach it to my team. I mean, certainly as a first-year head coach, you know, there's some things I have to learn in, in terms of, you know, if there's a rule change on how to play defense, I need to watch this video and learn and take note and make sure that we come back on Wednesday and play with the same level of, of, of physicality. And I think it's interesting because I, I complained Thursday, not while doing the TV, but later, the fact that ETSU versus UNCG on the women's side, there were four fouls called on UNCG, one on uh, one on each period. So one the first, one the second, one the third, one, but four fouls and zero free throw attempts for ETSU women's basketball. It was driving the ball to the hoop. I refuse to believe there wasn't one time they should have been able to draw a foul to get at least free throws. Nine fouls on the men's side versus the Citadel. ETSU got 12. And then that's, that's right there. I mean, it's nothing. And, and honestly, ETSU had to commit, let me think, they had to commit uh, three fouls to go from, to get their fifth, sixth, and seventh to get Citadel in the bonus. They had a foul. Yeah, so four of the 12 fouls were late to get to free throw. So it was really nine to eight until you get to last, you know, 40 seconds. Which is, which is right there. So, you know, you can, I don't think you can complain about that. It's 9-8. to eight. Both teams had shot similar free throws up to that. Matter of fact, ETSU had attempted more free throws because Citadel attempted four in the last, you know, 30 seconds, 20, whatever it was, 30, 20 seconds. ETSU had attempted 12. So ETSU had a 12-8 free throw advantage. I'm not complaining about the fouls. I'm not complaining about was it skewed on one another. Honestly, if you look at the numbers, it was called foul-wise about the same. I thought ETSU was more aggressive and probably could have gotten a few more fouls called. Didn't get it. I think the interesting part of it is Coach admits, as a first-year coach, and I liked this comment, the fact, as a first-year coach, I've taught it one way thinking this. Well, I just saw it go completely different, so... I need to go back and evaluate, do I need to teach things a little differently and toe the line a little more, or is it going to go back and watch some other things and maybe this was just an outlier, right? Because you don't want to, and I doubt Coach is going to swing the pendulum to where they're going to be over the top from what he was teaching. And the other thing is you can always send this stuff in the league and get clarification that it will never come out in the papers or uh, whatever. It's like Randy Sanders in football. Occasionally he would tell me, you know, I sent this play and here's what they said. Sometimes they would say, ah, oh, get back to me. Or sometimes they just go with whatever the official says. That's fine. I'm with But I, I like the fact that a first-year head coach has admitted, like, hey, I thought one thing, this has happened, I'm going to have to deal with it. I can learn from this, I can go. I think also some of it was frustration. If you hear that in a few other quotes that I'm not going to play uh, just for the sake of time in a one-man podcast today, but I felt like he thought, just like Coach Harris did on Thursday, thought they should have got a few more whistles to go the way. But that, it happens. Uh, there are going to be some games you get called, some games you're not. Some games are going to be tall, uh, called tight. Some are going to be called loose. 
And this is one of those that I felt like was loose. They let, they let people make plays. Now, we get inside the conference tournament, they try not to blow the whistle a lot. And so it is going to be a level of physicality that's going to have to be able to step up. Aiden Brown, 28 points, landed on his left wrist right from the half, got retaped. ETSU's got to figure out a way to limit him a little more. Obviously, they did a good job on Roche after he had the 14 points, but then it was Rudy Fitzgibbons with 14 points. David Maynard had just a couple of shots that were kind of big in big situations. So ETSU, tough loss. They've got to sort of lick their wounds. they got to come back uh, tomorrow. Of course, we're recording, or I'm recording this on Tuesday, but tomorrow – game against UNCG in which it's going to be another one of those. It's going to be a physical game. They will grind the clock out. Now, I'm not going to give you a full preview, but it's basically two contrasting styles. Each issue up-tempo, they want to light up the scoreboard for UNCG. They want to grind it out. They want the game to be under 60. And that's sort of their formula to picking up wins. If ETSU can get to 65-70, I don't know if UNCG can get there what they've shown now. Now, I'm not sure how that's going to change. I know Caleb Hunter's out for the year. He's going to change things um, as he was one of the better outside shooters for UNCG, so we'll see. And he's missed two games. He's going to miss the rest of the year. How that will affect the offense for UNCG. But ETSU has to take advantage of one more home game because after Wednesday, they've got three more home games the rest of the year and six on the road. And so certainly if need to get to win Wednesday so that they're above 500 first rotation through 5 to 4 5 and 4 I should say and let's see if ETSU will be able to move the needle from there especially on the road in which they are going to have tough sledding they've got to go to VMI on Saturday they've still got to go to Wofford they've got to go back to UNCG you've got to go to Mercer which we're going to go over this just in you know the standings there are what they are, then you get Western Carolina, and then you got to go to the Citadel just beat you. So, looking at that, and the fact that you've still got to play Furman and Chattanooga at home. So, nobody's going to feel sorry for the Bucks. I assure you of that. And so, ETSU is just going to have to try to learn uh, from this one, move on, and hopefully ETSU will get bounced back Wednesday against UNCG. 7 o'clock is the tip time, 6.30. Game show that game will also be on ESPN Plus and on the WB is that a, one of the package games that uh, WCRB has purchased. When we come back, we'll take a look, a brief breakdown, not quite in depth as normal since no Mike Gallagher, but we will take a look at scores and standings. ETSU, uh, or not ETSU, but Southern Conference men's and women's standings. Right for this time out, we'll stand up sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today, infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero-emission electric vehicles, harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy, and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power, here for you. Sidekick. We have a mission. Drop it on. Here we go. All right, just 
Sandoz no sidekick today as uh, Mike is in protocol. Hopefully we'll get him. I'll probably get him via the telephone no matter what on Thursday as we'll probably recap. And I probably will recap the ETSU men's basketball game versus UNCG. Talk a little bit about their Saturday game against VMI. We'll talk about the women's team. They've got Furman and Wofford. We'll also do a little, I don't know why we continue to do bold predictions. Probably because I'm winning. I make them do it. But we will do bold predictions. Southern Conference standings. Like I said, let me look at results first. And on Wednesday, you know, ETSU won 72-64 over Mercer. It was Wofford over the Citadel. Furman, the first of two impressive wins, 88-50 over Western Carolina. Before you shake your head, and, well, it's Western Carolina. I'll give you another one on Saturday. Chattanooga went to UNCG, and UNCG got 64. Problem is they gave up 72 to Chattanooga. VMI, 99 points on Sanford. And then Saturday results, it was Citadel over ETSU. Mercer with a bounce back against Western Carolina, 72-64. Chattanooga at BMI in an entertaining game, 78-74. UNCG, three better than Sanford, 61-58. But then, man, it's hard not to pay attention to this one. Furman at Wofford. First time, I think, since 2011. The Paladins have won in Spartanburg, and not only did they win, 25-point drubbing. Furman, 38 and 25-point wins this week. And I know SoCon John, my good buddy, had mentioned that statement win, Western, uh, kind of question mark that. And then I think if he would have just waited until Saturday, he could have said that and everyone would have been on board. I, again, Western, I know they own Chattanooga, but other than that, they've had troubles in the league and getting beat. Now, maybe not by 40, but I don't know that being Western by anything is a statement win, but I will say when you go to Wofford and you win by 25, certainly it is. It would be hard not to look at that win and go, wow. If the Pal- and, and then you look at the three-point numbers. The Paladins have hit 39 threes the last two games. So let me look at the standings, and then I'm going to dive into some stuff here. Chattanooga at 6-1, Furman right behind him at 6-2. Mercer now in third at 5-2, and two, and then you've got a gaggle of teams. Wofford, ETSU, VMI all at 4-4. Four and four. UNCG right behind them a half game at 3-4. and four. Citadel 2-5, Western 2-5, Sanford 1-6. I think the battle to stay out of that seventh seed is going to be real. Last year we saw Mercer kind of limp to the finish line, fall in the seventh seed. Now they ended up for the second year in a row, the seventh seed got to the title game. It was Wofford versus ETSU. Two years ago, it was Mercer taking on UNCG last year. So maybe it's a good thing then the seventh hole to be able to get things going. Problem is, you don't have enough legs for that fourth day. Now, Chattanooga is still, I think, the cream of the crop. Uh, I know they lost to Western Carolina, but when you look at tiebreakers, uh, by the time you get to West Carolina, it won't matter. So uh, Chattanooga, 6-1. and one. Big win, I thought, of VMI. Clearly, my bold predictions we'll talk about in a second, I thought would be VMI knocking off Chattanooga, and that's not the case. So, Furman, a lot of talk, two big wins. You're looking at dominant wins, and they're number one in assists. They're number one in three-pointers made, top three in attempts, top three in assists to turnovers. I mean, you're looking at a lot of stats. If you just look at Southern Conference only stats. So if we go sort of apples to apples, they're third in scoring offense, they're first in scoring defense, they're plus, now again they've had two blowouts, but they're plus 14 in scoring margin. 
Good, good team shoot free throws, right? Furman number one in free throw shooting. The Bucks, by the way, number ten in free throw shooting. Field goal percentage. Furman, not really that great, but their defense, they're number one. Number seven, field goal percentage. Overall, they are number one in field goal defense. Here's some of the things. Go out. Let's go this. So you look at turnover margin, they're first. And consistent turnovers, they're second. Or, excuse me, got that backwards. Turnover margin, they're second. Assisted turnover, they're number one. They're number two in steals, number one in assists. So a lot of stats that point to Furman having kind of one of those years. Here's what I want to point out. And I've been critical. Let's just be honest. And anybody that's listening to the podcast, you know I'm critical. They always play six players, really five players. They get a six-man in there. And, yes, though, if you look at the stat sheet, they'll have seven, eight, nine guys play. But a lot of them, seven minutes, six minutes here and there. This is a little different, and I dove a little further just to go conference stats because if you go conference stats in the last eight games they've played, they don't have five guys averaging 30 minutes. They've only got three, and I'll take it a step further. Mike Bothwell, 31 minutes and a half. Alex Hunter, 31.1. Slauson right at 30 even. The other two starters, Foster and Garrison, 29 and 25 respectively. They've got four guys playing 11 minutes or more. So that's a true nine-man rotation. And if you take out Huey and Pugh's three-point shooting, which they're one for 11, as a team, minus those guys have only taken 11 threes, and again, one's over five, one's one for six. All the other nine guys that play, or eight significant minutes that play, I should say, they're shooting 40% from three in league play. And that is just ridiculous. And it's going to be hard to stop. 39 threes in two games, and maybe that skews some of it. But 137 assists to 78 turnovers is going to win you a lot of ball games. 70 steals in eight games. It's a huge number. 81% from the free throw line. 44% from the floor. Simple formula, though. You know, if I could break it down a little just to the common denominator of points given up. When Furman gives up 70, they lose. 71 to Chattanooga, 71-69, 70 to VMI, lost 76-67. Other than that, team struggle. ETSU scored the next highest at 69 and lost. Mercer then at 66 lost. Back-to-back 50 points given up to Western Carolina and Wofford. 49 to Sanford. There's a couple big blowout wins in here for the Furman Paladins. So my critical part, I've always been a Furman, is they don't have enough legs at the end of the season because guys are playing. I went and looked up since Bob Ritchie's been the head coach. And it was one year as a little bit of an outlier because there was a couple of guys that got to exactly 10 minutes of playing time. And I didn't do conference only. I just did overalls. So that included a lot of the, the non-Division one games. So I probably should have took a few more minutes to see. But there were three – they averaged three guys – 34, 35 minutes, five guys sometimes 30 minutes. They at least had four guys averaging 30 minutes ever since Bob Ridge has been there and we played, and really just a six-man rotation. And, again, if I go with the 10 minutes or more, there's one year where there's like eight, but guys were barely like 10, 
10 minutes even, and that included the, the non-D1s, like I said. So if the rotation is there, and certainly if they're hitting 40% from three the rest of the year, they're going to be a problem, and they're going to win a lot of games. The question is, can they get over the hump? This could be Furman's deepest team yet, or at least the most that Bob Ritchie has trusted the non-starters to go in there. I think the other thing is Mercer. They still got Murderer's Row coming up. Here in a few weeks, they've got to play Furman, Wofford, Chet, twice ETSU again. But they're doing what they should do. They're 5-2 and two in all the other games, right? They've lost to Furman, they've lost ETSU, they've beaten all the other teams. So that stretch, I think, will determine where Mercer kind of falls in there. And then two teams, VMI's about where I thought they were, UNCG's about where they thought they were. The two teams I don't know about are actually the team I cover, ETSU and Wofford. They have some really kind of good showings, good wins, and then they have some that you kind of scratch your head now. ETSU had the 30-point to their arch-rival, Chattanooga, and Wofford just had a head-scratcher loss to their arch-rival, Furman. I think the difference is Chattanooga did it at home. Wofford had it happen to them at their place. So I'm not sticking a fork in Wofford, but neither one of those losses are good. Trust me, you don't want to lose to your arch-rival. But I'm just curious Wofford losing a home, maybe how that changes things. And maybe they just caught Furman, or Furman caught them just playing absolutely some of the best basketball that anybody is playing right now. And last week, if they're not the national team of the week in the mid-majors, I, I have no idea who else had had the, those those type wins. And maybe somebody else played a couple other mid-majors, top 25 or something. But this week coming up, and we'll dive into it maybe a little bit on Thursday, but Obviously, Wednesday's game for ETSU, it's UNCG. VMI's at Furman. That could be an interesting game. VMI um, plays a similar style, Princeton-type offense, so we'll see that matchup. Slauson and Stevens ought to be a good one. Western Carolina's at the Citadel. Wofford's at Chattanooga. Can Wofford bounce back? Mercer at Sanford. And then Saturday, Chattanooga's at the Citadel. ETSU at VMI. Sanford at Western Carolina. Mercer hosts Furman. Wofford and UNCG, so could start to get a little bit of separation um, there. And then Monday, the, the special game, the uh, ESPN, I believe, game is Wofford, uh, Wofford at Mercer. So there's a lot to talk about there on the men's side. You look at the women's side, and Wofford ladies were 3-0 top of the conference going in Saturday, but they lost. Let's talk about that on Thursday. It was UNCG over ETSU, 56-38. It was Wofford on the road at Sanford, a big win. I thought 80-69, to Chattanooga. Held on or held off Western Carolina 55 48, and it was Furman edging out Mercer 69 66. Then on Saturday, ETSU, the big win, which we recapped in our first segment. You can hear that uh, on our first segment here on Sanderson Sidekick over Western Carolina. Chattanooga blows out UNCG. It was Mercer over Wofford, and then Sanford over Furman. So you look at the women's standings, there's three teams and one loss. Mercer at 5-1, Chad at 4-1, Wofford at 3-1. and one. Of course, Mercer has the advantage because they've already won two extra games. Chattanooga's got a half game behind, and Wofford's got two full games. They've got to play to see if they can get to 5-1. Sanford at 3-2, Furman at 2-2, two and two, then UNCG and ETSU at 1-3, Western at 0-6. So Thursday, ETSU at Furman, Chattanooga at Wofford, then it's ETSU at Wofford on Saturday, Chattanooga at Furman, and then the two travel partners will play. Samford at Mercer and Western Carolina will play host to UNCG. So that Samford 
Mercer game, somebody's going to have a second loss. And the question will be, can Wofford knock off Western Carolina, or uh, Chattanooga, I should say, can they knock off uh, Chattanooga and uh, ETSU? So they'll play uh, Chattanooga on Thursday, then ETSU on Saturday. So we may know more about Wofford and Chattanooga because Chat sitting there at 4-1, uh, Wofford at 3-1, Sanford at 3-2. I think I misspoke earlier. I think I said Sanford each one loss is actually Chattanooga. Wofford, one of those Thursday will have a second loss. Sanford can make things interesting on Saturday if they beat Mercer because then you're talking about maybe a potential one-loss team in the league, uh, depending on everything pitches out. So that's our breakdown of the Southern Conference men's and women's basketball standings. And, again, just a one-man breakdown. It's not as thorough as we normally do, but that's a look around our Southern Conference. Shohei Otani has taken MLB by storm this season. He's the first player in MLB history to be selected to the All-Star Game as both a pitcher and a position player. The Brooklyn Nets are home. They are done. If they were committed, if they put in that work, you'd be in the Eastern Conference right now. The Brooklyn Nets are home watching a playoff with the rest of us. Javel McGee has been added to the Team USA roster. Yes, I'll say that again. JaVale McGee. Jamari Monsanto announced he would not be returning to the Buccaneers. A 6'6", 225-pound three-star shooting guard was this year's Southern Conference Freshman of the Year. But Jay is my teammate. He stepped up with the 17th green to our left. The 18th tee, 45 yards away. Jay proceeds to hit for the 18th tee, to the 17th green, and into the 17th bucket. So we make fun. I don't know what it's time All right, bold predictions. And uh, as usual, never not good. All right, uh, let's see, what did I do? Uh, bench scoring. Two ETSU men's basketball players off the bench would score double figures. Didn't happen. The women who would sweep this weekend didn't happen. Be my over check. Guess what? Didn't happen. Sky Davis double double. Christian played the second game due to a family emergency. Not able to do that. Um, ETSU would have more field goals to score more points they did against the Citadel last time, which is 112. Obviously didn't come near that. Kansas State didn't give it a go against Kansas, but Mike Gallagher did not get that as well. No. Oh. Matt is right. I'm 16 and 34. He is 4 and 44. I'm winning. That's all I can say. All right, Thursday we'll recap the ETSU men's basketball game. Wednesday we'll preview the weekend's women's games and the men's basketball game. Uh, we'll probably look around the Southern Conference a little bit more. All that more coming up. Santo sidekick. On the market, there's my network.